I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Oh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, we are here with Foster Rhodes. She is a comedian doing wonderful mental health initiatives out in the world. We're going to find out a little bit more about that. And we're also going to talk about our most downloaded and played topic, which is narcissism. We're also here with Frank King, the mental health comedian. Comedian. Hey, Frank. Hey, who I had no idea until I met you, and this sounds really bad, that narcissism was as, as, as a big a deal as it actually is. Not that you're narcissistic. Um, <laughs> but we all have be, our tendencies. <laughs> yeah, you may be co-narcissistic, but I don't right. know. Um, yeah, I had no <laughs> idea how uh, prevalent, how uh, often it, it rears its ugly head in society. It's just, I, I'm amazed. It's an epidemic. So, yes. Yeah, and with like the onslaught of social media, it's just getting worse and worse because people are just looking at themselves and like, oh, how can I be seen more? How can I be seen more? Yeah, it's, 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 it is nuts. I mean, I looking in the world. Yeah, I see all these pictures that people will post up of themselves. And I'm like, you know, one or two selfies every so often is totally fine. But when I see every post is, a picture of someone standing, you know, okay, now I'm standing in this position with my head this way. And now I'm walking <laughs> with a briefcase towards a building. And now I'm skipping through a field of daisies. I'm like, oh my gosh. And somebody the other day posted something that said, caption this. And this is after the 8,000th photo of themselves. I said, I, my caption was, boy, I take a lot of pictures of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think was appreciated. <laughs> like at least they're showing self-awareness. <laughs> yeah, some primordial level of self-awareness, I guess. But I, I just can't, uh, I can't fathom it. But I wanted to talk to you guys about, you know, you're both comedians. Clearly, there's some, there's some crossover of, about this in the comedy world. So Frank, let's start with you. What you know, you this was new to you in terms of popularity until you got on our network. But I know you've run into this, obviously. Oh Lord, yes. Oh dear God. And and <laughs> and in between wives, I was um, I'm married to my second wife for 31 years. For anybody who's listening, um, the dated somebody, and the young woman said to me, "Boy, you think a lot of yourself, don't you?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, I'm a comedian. I, I work alone. If I don't think uh, <laughs> well of myself, who's gonna?" So, uh, so even I, even I have a little bit, I think just to be a comedian, you have to be a little bit narcissistic. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I was wondering, cause I had this conversation with, um, with Sayan who does a lot of our marketing about, you know, the, is there, is there, a, is there good narcissism is, you know, could you be, remember when we, remember when we had the uh, show on, um, the, um, imposter syndrome and yeah, I said, with Corey, oh, yeah, yeah. I did Cody. That's okay. Cody. Oh uh, my God. See, oh, my. there is right. something wrong with me today. Joe, don't edit that. <laughs> Listeners, there is something wrong with me today where I am literally making up words that don't exist. And 
I am calling everybody by the wrong name. Let's see if we make it through the rest of the show. Yeah. Unless you got the first letter. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The cuh, the cuh, yeah. Yeah, four letters, begins with the C. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I, I said, I think I said to you guys, look, I think, I think because I have reverse imposter syndrome, I don't think I'm going to be found out as a fraud. I just, I believe that I'm really, really talented and overqualified and people just haven't found out yet. Um, <laughs> And I'm dying for them to find out. So I said, maybe I'm like a, like a really nice narcissistic sociopath. <laughs> I will go into why you're not that in a second. Okay. Cause I can explain why you're not that, even though I'm not a, I'm armchair um, psychologizing, but Foster, what about you? Uh, you know, you joined this show just, you know, at the last minute today. <laughs> so when you heard Frank and I talking about this on our call earlier, what did you think hearing our, our conversation about it? Um, well, I don't, like as I was like learning more about like narcissism and like how I, I've experienced it through other people, because like I was, I'm very new to the, the term even like, sure you hear it in passing, but I feel like it's one of those words like ironic where everybody just uses it, but nobody really knows the meaning. Right. You know, like it's, it's like same thing with gaslighting. It's just these words that we throw around. So it's like, as I'm learning more about like what it is and the characteristics, I'm like, wait a second, I've done that before. Oh wait, no, I've, I've done that before too. <laughs> I'm like, hey, wait, am I, am I the narcissist? Right. As you dig deeper, you're just like, oh no, this is just like, like things, like ways that I'm reacting because of being in these narcissistic relationships. Right. I call them relationships, by the way, but anyway. Yes. Oh, hello. <laughs> we didn't draw, we didn't say anything too over the line, so I don't have to mark the show explicit for that. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are. And I'll tell you what is it, what makes you, okay, we all have a degree of narcissism. Yes, yeah, some mm -hmm. of it have, have it higher than others. There are different belief systems, even in the mental health field. Some mental health professionals believe that any percentage of narcissism in someone is horrible. Mm. Uh, that's not a popular belief because it just simply isn't true. Um, yeah. Everybody has some narcissistic tendencies. It's, it's how well you manage it. And when, when does it become something that's classified as a disorder, a character yeah. disorder mm. or personality disorder? So, you know, yeah, there are different times in your life and things that happen where you can ride this egotistical high a bit too long. And that's why you have friends that come in and your family or whoever and go, hey, that's not attractive. Knock it off, you know? And then you have this healthy level of shame where you go, ooh, I don't <laughs> really, that was pretty awful. I don't want to do that anymore. And you learn. And what happens with someone who has a personality disorder is, they don't have that healthy shame that comes in, or if they do, it gets thrown out the window right away. They have no interest in stopping their behavior. Uh, and their life is really where we can grow and evolve and change and not behave that way anymore and stop ourselves. Um, what I've heard from the experts, psychologists and psychiatrists and so on with personality disorder level of narcissism is that it's, they can't do that. They, it's just a lifetime of behavior modification and they can get really resentful about having to modify that behavior because they don't think they're the one with the problem. It's everybody else. Mm. So Frank, um, yeah. you know, you do not bring with you a, a swath of trying to chop me out at the knees, undercut me, <laughs> triangulate with other podcasters. Uh, these are all things that narcissists would do. They would come in to this network that we have and they would try to split me with other podcasters, manipulate, gaslight, uh, undermine, uh, use me for whatever they can get and offer nothing in return. That is clearly not you. So do you have some healthy narcissism in there? Absolutely you're a comedian, you got to have it to get up on that <laughs> stage. But are you um, someone that does all the other stuff? Hell no. <laughs> Woo! Thank goodness. <laughs> okay. I'm feeling better by myself already. This isn't my session. <laughs> yeah. So I, Foster, what do you think about that whole description, which is not my, I'm no genius for coming up with that. That is borrowed from the hundreds of people I've interviewed about the subject. 
Well, yeah, you do have to have like a certain level of confidence and in yourself to be able to get up on stage and like say the things that you do in front of a crowd and be like, okay, these people are going to like what I have to say or like what I have to say has value. So I'm going to say it. But there's also um, that boundary, like you were saying, of manipulating other people in order to get that response, like what you're willing to do in order to get people to like you or to see you or to love you. And it's that attention getting. It's like, is that the the need that you that you have? Is that your only reason for doing what you're doing is to mm. get that attention? Or is there like a deeper underlining why behind it? Yeah, I noticed with me, and I would, this is what, you know, I was talking about with Frank earlier is I am really tasty goods, just like many empathic people that are big doers. Um, I can be tasty goods for a narcissist because the they don't really, they don't like to work. They don't like to work on themselves, clearly, put the hard work in that comes with being a human being and failing and having to change and grow and evolve. That's not their MO. But they love people like us who do because then they can come in and we'll do all this work. They'll take all the credit. And then when we are used up, tired, broke, and her life is about to be over or we want it to be over. Then they leave and find somebody else. And then we have to go to therapy and heal. They're not in therapy. Yeah. But <laughs> I've had patterns of this with different people. And usually what happens for me is I don't really realize what's going on or, or I start to and red flags are, you know, getting increasingly louder for me to wake up to. And then I got to figure it out and go, okay, now how do I unwind myself from this relationship that is toxic and not be broke, tired, da 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 da, da all those things. Yeah, it's tough, especially like when you're in the comedy community and then you start dating other comedians. <laughs> and I definitely oh, fell into that <laughs> trap where I'm just like, wait a second, like what's going on with my brain? Why is this happening? Right. Like you're in this pattern of just like, wait, is it, is it me? Is like, like, why am I so sad all the time? Why do I feel like I still need to improve and work on this like so much more? And then you get out of that relationship and it's devastating and you just have to rebuild everything that you are all over again. And then that person's already fine. Yeah. They're, they're like, yeah, yeah. They're with somebody else. I I liken it to being with a succubus, Mm. someone that comes in and the, every night they're, draining you of your life energy and you become more ugly and more haggard and they just become more magically beautiful because they're feeding off of your life energy. (laughs) And then they leave and they, you know, now do they stay that way? No, they, they don't. They, it's like a vampire. They have to get, you know, more blood where we're energizer bunnies. We can energize ourselves. But I have noticed that with some where I'm like, I look worse than I've ever looked and feel worse. And they look like Prince Charming. How is this possible? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got to tell you guys, I, my dad died when I was eight, uh, very young. It was my birthday and Thanksgiving. Um, There's a a whole separate uh, uh, counseling session there. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Yeah, trust. Take me. Take my word for it. And tell you, the wishbone thing doesn't actually work. Uh, the uh, no. But what what has happened is the men I've been attracted to to hang out with. Uh, you know, from a, from a, a heterosexual perspective, I think I've been searching for had been searching for my dad for a long time. Aww. And the guys I was attracted to to hang out with, as I look back, were all narcissists. They, I, you know, I thought they had it all going on and they had, they had it wired and they, you know, they, they wanted to help me. And as I look back, manipulators and, you know, like, like it's the succubus and <laughs> they, they didn't, but I, I, I kept falling for it over and over and over until I finally realized, wait a minute, I think I'll just be my own male role model. Thank you. <laughs> and and uh, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, I guess as a heterosexual guy, it's kind of say, odd to say I was attracted to narcissistic men. But I, I guess the good news is, or the, the, the relatable is, I, I understand the attraction of a man like that. 
having had, the, had that void in my life and tried to fill it that way. So if you're a woman and you're, you know, you're looking for Mr. Right, um, then I can see how that is very attractive. Yeah. Foster. Yeah, because they come on like very charming and charismatic. Yes. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, this person is sucking out all the oxygen in the room. And it's like they've given you none to breathe with. Yes. Yes, exactly. How, did, wh- how, how long does it take you, Foster, to recognize? Because they don't go away. It's not like people say, oh, I'm now immune to narcissism. I'm like, really? Well, you have been bottled that shit because that is not <laughs> how it works. They're everywhere. <laughs> but it, I, to me, it's like a degree of, um, of figuring out quicker in the relationship, Mm -hmm. what you're dealing with and getting out before there's carnage. So how long, you know, does it take you to kind of figure that out? Even with girlfriend relationships, it can happen that way too. Uh, It takes me a while now. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm getting a bit quicker with it, but I did just have to sever a friendship because of like the same like kind of narcissistic tendencies that I started to see in him as Mm -hmm. well. Like he's also a comedian and we tried to do shows and stuff together. And then there was this conversation that started to happen where it was just like, he started calling me a liar for like, just like doing the most random things. I'm just like, I'm just busy. Like, I'm sorry that you don't believe that I'm busy and I have other things going on and I don't have time to meet with you, but that doesn't make me a liar. Right. (laughs) Right. And it was like that kind of like just in your face manipulation that started to happen. Mm. And I guess the tendency is you you want to, I mean, for me, it's, I want to believe someone. Yeah. It takes everything in me and all the training that I've learned about narcissism and really narcissistic people. It still takes everything in me to tell myself as they're spitting something out of their mouth, it takes an inordinate amount of energy for me to go, they are lying to my face right now because I mm-hmm. want to believe them. And yeah, you know, I, I, my, my, my mother was big on, look, I, I believe you until you give me a reason not to. Mm. Yeah. But you're right. It's, it's still hard, even though you know what's happening. <laughs> you know, I know you're full of caca doo doo. <laughs> why am I still standing here? Why am I? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You want to, and, and being in the mental health field, you're like, well, maybe they're having a struggle with addiction or maybe they're, you know, they're having us uh, scared or they're depressed or, you know, there's a million excuses that you can give. I've found this field like a safe um, or not safe, um, a, you know, probably like it is with comedy, a playground for narcissism because they can hide out here and take advantage of a lot of people playing that mental health card. Mm. Yeah, I think I give, I give a great deal of latitude to people who have a mental illness that I wouldn't give to somebody who is at least supposedly neuronormal. Right. I would write it off as well, you know, but I mean, he's, you know, he's trying as hard as he can and uh, it probably didn't mean it that way. And <laughs> yeah, it's always that intuition. tendency to like want to see the best in somebody or like just see the good qualities and then it's like, oh, but they do this and they do this for me. And like, they're so kind in this way because everybody has like good and bads to them but it's just about the balance of how those good and bads weigh out against each other. Yes. How about when you're in a relationship with, with one of them and I call it, you know, when they really get their hooks in, because there's people that have varying degrees of narcissism and then they, you know, may have a wake up and they don't act that way anymore and they monitor it later. But when someone really is the barnacle that has attached itself to you, <laughs> barnacle that's it's, nice it's leeching your soul out. <laughs> <I> like that <laughs> it you it's really <laughs> difficult to side to sort of stop and go what is going on here um what why is this happening and trying to figure out how to get out of that relationship um can be so tricky uh, and it's so easy for us to blame ourselves for everything. Oh, yes. I am a hardcore blamer, like self-blamer. I'm just like, wait a second, what, what am I doing wrong? What can I be doing better? Is it something that I'm doing that's like making this person like act this way? Yep. 
and yeah. it's, it's so I think that that's an, that's a hard that's an easy tell is like is the other person self-reflecting like like that or if they are are they doing it in like a manipulative way where they're just <laughs> trying to play the victim where they're just like oh I can't help being this way like I, I have this 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 and this and I can't help but be this way it's like are they just using that as an excuse for their behavior and not actually owning it and trying to like better themselves in some way yeah, you're like like that's an easy tell of of if they're just using words as like a shield or if they're actually trying to to change in some like concrete way that's so true and you know what the only thing that you can do in that scenario is is you have to learn it over time yeah because otherwise we're just cutting off everybody the minute that we meet them oh they could mm -hmm. potentially be a toxic blah 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 which isn't a healthy way to live either so yeah. you do get into these relationships and then over time mm -hmm. you go okay yeah they're not evolving they are saying the same thing and boy do they play that victim card well i i would say that is the biggest coup de gras for a narcissist accomplishment is wow that victim card gets played so convincingly well so well <laughs> Yeah, I had a conversation recently with a friend who was involved with a narcissist and and because I like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, I will tell me about it. What's the situation? So the person's rattling, you know, uh, rattling off the situation and 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 things that had been done to that person to upset them and then things that had been done to acquaintances of that person that they introduced the other one to. And you know, I'm I'm all all along. I'm trying to, you know, benefit the doubt, benefit the doubt, benefit the doubt. <laughs> until I got to the point where, you know, it's overwhelming evidence. And I just said, okay, it's time to, no, that's it. Dump them. It's, it's, right. it's uh, I've given them all the benefit of the doubt I've got. I got nothing left. Yeah, it's time to move on. So mm -hmm. sometimes it takes somebody outside yeah. to hear the litany and go, really, really, really? Oh, yeah, it's time to move on. So, you know, sometimes other people can see the truth we can't see because we're, you know, the forest or the trees or whatever. Yes. Pick your, pick your I did metaphor. that with you. I did that with you today, Frank. With listeners, you'll get a kick out of this. So we're using Zoom. Might as well <laughs> out myself here. We're using Zoom instead of GoToMeeting to record our shows. And I have, I'm still new to figuring out Zoom. And so we had an appointment to talk to Foster about her possibly joining the network with her um, show and her existing podcast and she was a little bit late no big deal and Frank and I were like on it talking we were going to do this call together and at some point Foster joined and I didn't have the little bell that tells you bing someone joined so Frank and I are on this full-on conversation where I'm getting advice from him like you just talked about Frank getting it from an outside person about this narcissistic thing that's going on in my life. And you had gotten to the point, yeah, you need to just dump this and move on. And then Foster's like, hi, I'm here. <laughs> and we were like, Whoa. Oh, how much did she hear? <laughs> yeah. Well, and in, in the interest of full, full disclosure, I had just said, of course, she, of course, Foster didn't show up. She's a comedian. They're so irresponsible. <laughs> I mean, she's typed up. <laughs> oh, yeah. But fortunately, Foster's been around enough comics to know that is not, uh, you know, a, a responsible comedian is the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, she's obviously the June Cleaver of comedy. She was right there. <laughs> and nice enough to forgive us for that. Yeah, Lord. I think that would be any show. worse. <laughs> We could have just let it go on for longer and been like, mm, I wonder how juicy this is going to get. Right. It was pretty juicy. Yeah. It was pretty juicy. And as we're about to wrap up, go, hey, are you guys recording this by chance? <laughs> what? Who's that? <laughs> exactly. Well, let's do this. Let's segue really quick. Foster, tell the, our listeners about your podcast and why you are so adamant about um, doing a subject in you know, the mental health field. Well, yeah, it's called Spark the Madness. And I was inspired, of course, by the late, great Robin Williams. And as you, as some of you may know, he struggled also with depression and a lot of other things. And I myself, like, struggle with depression. 
And I also have like trichotillomania. It's the one thing that I actually haven't openly talked about that much yet. And I'm trying to use this as a way to like break through and break down that wall of staying inside that box. But also it's something that so many people struggle with. And it's not something that's really talked about widely and openly, especially within the comedy community. And there's a lot of like self-medicating that happens and people usually turn to drugs and alcohol. And I just want people to understand and know that there are other healthier ways out there of dealing with life and dealing with your struggle. And I just want to try to create a community and a space where people can feel comfortable to start talking about these topics and learning about alternative ways of living with their struggle and with whatever like mental health issues that they have. Um, Foster? Yes. Uh, for, for my benefit and those who are listening, um, do you have trichinosis? I think that's a... <laughs> no, I have trichotillomania. It's like a hair pulling disorder. It's an impulse control disorder. Mm. Oh. I was I, thinking... I, yeah, I must... Go ahead. Yeah, it's was... not very common. <laughs> I've heard of it. I've totally heard of it. Sometimes I wonder with myself, uh, but I know I'm in no way am I um, downplaying it. its disorder but we are talking comedy too. I told my, this, I told my uh, person that does my eyelashes, uh, which I will never do it again. I will get these individual eyelashes put on my eyes if I have to do a TV thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I told her, well, I have trich- trichotillomania in my sleep because I go to bed and it bugs me so bad that, and I can't take it. I have to rip every single one of those things out while I'm sleeping. And then I end up with no eyelashes. So from now on, <laughs> I'm just going to deal with mascara. <laughs> and that's not it, listeners. It's way more serious. Um, it's way more serious than that. But, um, but yeah, it's one of those things that you, you get embarrassed about. And, it's, and it, you're right. It's an impulse control yeah. thing. And it's like, it's not that common. So it's really hard to just like talk about it. And it's like someone looks at you and just like, oh my God, did you get a haircut? And I'm just like, no, I've just been attacking myself constantly all day. <laughs> right. Ouch. Right. Yeah, it's a self, it's a self-harm, um, a self-harm thing. And so some psychologists say. Yeah. Well, and because I've got a friend who- it also falls under the umbrella of dermatillomania, which is like a, like kind of a skin. This It can get really disgusting. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I don't fine. want to go like too deep into it. But yeah, it's like when you like kind of it's dermatillomania uh, starts with like the skin. So it's like you're picking at scabs and like people will, it really is like you're, you're, sel- you're self-harming yourself mm-hmm. and something that you really can't control in that moment. Now, a friend of mine went to the hospital for something else entirely mm-hmm. and did not know she had the skin picking mm-hmm. uh, illness until they took away her tweezers. Mm. And she asked them why, and they said, "Well, this may come as a surprise to you, <laughs> but you have this." Yeah. Wow. Yep. Right, and getting into the psychology behind that, and why, and where there may be trauma that you associated. So, yeah, there's so many. There's so yeah. many roads to go down there. So you, you, you've taken these things, and you've decided to be yet another brave comedian that brings that into your act. Yeah. <laughs> Because I believe, you know, the real comedy comes from truth and honesty. You know, like there's comedy in life and I like to be as like truthful in my stand-up as possible. And like, I don't really embellish any of my stories. They're all like like actual events and just like my perspective on the world. And I feel like that's where like you can start to heal and help people when you give them perspective shifts. When you start to like look at your problems and look at like your struggles and just a different way. And like, that's where like healing can start to begin. So I just want to like try to create a dialogue where it's just like, life is too important to be serious. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's too important to be so serious. And that was a quote by somebody. And I do truly believe that like finding humor in your struggle and in your suffering, it can help so much in your healing process. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with like Tig Notaro's set. Um, what is that? Uh, it's a woman. She's a female comedian. And there was this one set that she did. Uh, she had just like survived like a, like a almost a near death experience. Then she got diagnosed with breast cancer and her mother passed away like a month earlier. 
Mm. And like all of this happened, like all in this, like the course of like maybe two or three months. There's a documentary on Netflix. I highly recommend seeing it. It's amazing. But she went out there and she didn't really want to talk about these things. But in the last moment when she was diagnosed with cancer, which was the last thing, she was just like, well, you know what? I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, like life yeah. is just like, <laughs> constantly just been taking a big crap on me, like religiously. And mm. like, she does it and is this most amazing and powerful set and is just so truthful and so honest. And I feel like that's where like the true beauty and comedy come, like can, can be found. Absolutely. That's when you can help people with your comedy. Absolutely. Good for you for taking that on because, you know, not everybody chooses to go down that road. I, I like it that mental health is now this popular term where mm-hmm. even a year ago, um, people were still like, why would you call your network mental health news radio network? Why, did you, why didn't you call it emotional health radio network? And I'm like, because I'm trying to have this be a regular thing that we all need to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> So when I hide it in the title, yeah, you know, <laughs> but, um, well, awesome. I'm glad you're doing that. I hope you decide to join us. That would be incredible. And I want to make sure mm-hmm. listeners hear that again, spark the madness is the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, um, so let's get back to the, uh, let's close this out with some narcissism stuff. So how have those relationships um, for you, Foster, we'll start with you. How have they ended for you? Like how usually a narcissist will discard you because they sort of smell that you're done with them or they're done with you. Usually you're discarded, but sometimes you can leave them, especially if you haven't gotten in that far. The barnacle hasn't completely set set yet. <laughs> but they're usually not. Yeah, my barnacle pretty. was in there deep. My barnacle yeah. was in there real deep. <laughs> usually is not pretty so how how have you navigated the must needed ending of those relationships um well in the first one where I was like actually in the romantic relationship with the comedian it was tough because we were living together Mm -hmm. and like it was this kind of like like are we like will we won't we will we won't we kind of like stay together or split up and then all of a sudden he just kind of leaves and doesn't come back (laughs) right and that's just how that just kind of ended, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was a lot to just kind of grapple with because he is still like in New York. So every, every once in a while, like I'd see him around at comedy clubs and I'm like, oh, you didn't die. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, <are> still, <laughs> you, you still exist in this realm and in this plane. Okay. And thanks for breathing your toxicity all over me and then dumping it here and leaving. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) What about those, um, you know, non-romantic, the romantic ones are tough. Oh my gosh. They are really soul wrenching and friendships can be tough too. Not as rough because the romance piece is there, but how have you, you know, been able to get away from even just those toxic um, friendships that aren't really a friendship? Well, like I said, we were trying to work on this show together and it just got to the point where I was just like, I refuse to be like treated like this and I don't want to be talked to like this anymore. And I was just like, I think we should just work on separate projects and just have that be that. And Mm -hmm. like every once in a while, he'll like, like send me a text message or something like that. And I try to respond out of politeness, but it really only takes like maybe five, like four or five texts back and forth for it to get like hostile and toxic again. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay, this was a great decision for for me to not have this person in my life anymore. Usually that hostility and stuff is wrapped around um, pathological envy for their intended target. Mm. So just a, a thing to keep in your in your bag. It's usually that they're very envious of you. That's why they try to make you feel so rotten. Mm. I've never looked at it like that. We don't we don't pick up on yeah. that, but that is that is the reality. You have qualities that they mm-hmm. don't know how to have for themselves because they just try to usurp it out of other people and they're envy they are tr- attracted to you because of those qualities and then they end up becoming extremely envious of you because you have those qualities and they want them. Um I had a I have a 
regular guest, Christine Louis de Cannonville, who talks about co-narcissism, which I thought was an interesting term and very true. I've never heard of that one before. Yeah, that's the codependent uh, enabler empath in the relationship typically. Mm -hmm. Not always, but but, um, sometimes it can be two narcissists, two full-blown narcissists together. But... um, but yeah, you, you, the thing that you learn about narcissists, they don't want to do any work. So they're not about putting sweat equity in. You are. And they, it's, I looked at it like this. I had someone that used to say to me, oh, I don't have to um, go to counseling. I listen to your show. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that is such a narcissistic thing to say. <laughs> Typical narcissist. That would be like me sitting, having lunch every week with Frank, who is a bodybuilder, right? So Frank, I am going to become a bodybuilder just by going to lunch with you every week. (laughs) I don't have to do the sweat. I don't have to take the protein. I don't have to do any of the hard work. It's just going to rub off on me. That's, That's how narcissists think. I'll just rub off. This person's qualities will just rub off on me and I don't have to actually do the work to gain them. (laughs) 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 What do you think about that, Mr. Bodybuilder? (laughs) If only we could work through osmosis. (laughs) Yes. Well, since I'm, uh, see, I'm in the uh, 28th and a half hour of my fast today. It's not going to be much of a lunch, uh, you and I. Uh, But there again, as a narcissist, you don't have to fast. You don't have to go without meals to, you know, to diet down, to do a contest. So, um, by the way, the last narcissist I was involved with, I got involved with him as a friend when I was really miserable. I was selling insurance, married to my first wife. who's was a wonderful woman. We just didn't belong together. And, and I think that, that me being miserable was part of, uh, cause he seemed to have it all together and very positive and his own business and, you know, so I sort of drug him into my new life where I'd given up all of that and was doing comedy and speaking and happy and married, happily married. And went to the, went as far as we bought a, a mobile home on Whidbey Island. And then we bought the one next door back in the go, go, you know, early, uh, uh, early two thousands when you could do that kind of thing <laughs> on a signature and sold it to him. And then, he then my wife began to report things around the property were breaking uh doors that she knows she shut had were when she went back they were open and she swore he was in the woods occasionally staring over at our property and then he flat out came and told her in a conversation over coffee one day you know i'm a master manipulator <laughs> which <laughs> that's a, that's brassy uh and so we ended up um we moved we actually moved, you know, off the island and uh, probably three and a half, four hours away to get out of it, to disentangle ourselves from him. And so that's, yeah, we just, you know, it came to the point where it's like, listen, we need to, <laughs> we need, to, we need yeah. some geography between us. Yeah. You need to flee for your safety. Exactly. Yeah. For, for, for yeah, safety, sanity. Um, and I, you know, I've got no, I have absolutely no interest in having any communications with them. And A, he hasn't reached out, um, you know, since then. Thank the Lord. Yeah. But, and I've, you know, I've grown. So I don't tend to, I still tend to, you know, being an empath and being, you know, helpful and, and wanting to, you know, and, and, and giving everybody the benefit of the doubt, you know. <laughs> I still do bump into the occasional. But I think, I think maybe I tumble to him faster. Mm. And, and my lovely wife up to what's going on faster. You mean? Yes. Or my lovely wife Wendy will, you know, go, "Hey, <laughs> don't you recognize this behavior in your mm. friend?" Oh dear God! Oh Lord! <laughs> I love that when you say that. Oh dear God! Oh dear God! Yes, wow. I do. Well, we're going to extricate ourselves. We're just going to back away slowly, and you know, yes, that's it's. But again, I think I was trying to fill the void left by my father. Hmm. That makes total sense. It's when we're looking to fill those voids that we, we get attracted to them because boy, do they, I mean, what they are good at where they do put the sweat equity in is on manipulation. Oh yes. I mean, yeah, they study people. Like I felt like with one of them who used to like trip over himself and walk into walls in front of me. And I thought, Oh, isn't that charming? He's so, Goo goo gaga over me that he walks into walls. Okay, no, that was all an act. 
and he studied me. I felt like I was under glass constantly. He knew every wound, everything to say that would get maximum um, juice out of me, you know, all those things. So that's where they put that sweat equity in is that. And when you don't fall for it or when you fall for it and then you extricate yourself, they're really angry because God, they put in so much work into manipulating you. How dare you? What a waste of their time. Like they're absolutely angry. It doesn't matter that you're destroyed and maybe want to check into a psych ward. It's that they're angry that you figured it out and they wasted all that time on you. I've got a friend, a male friend who dated a woman who was, was, uh, and was going to marry who uh, I do believe now looking back was a narcissist. And he would tell, he would describe to me the way she behaved. She was very wealthy. The way she behaved to the rank and file employees of whatever business, restaurant, parking lot, you know, just, just mean, just, mm-hmm. you know, would, would act one way toward him and people with substance, money, and then completely different way in his presence with the sales clerk or the waiter. And it wasn't until after they had broken up and things had gone horribly wrong that he said to me, you know, I just, <laughs> I watched that and I don't know what I was thinking, why I believed that even though she was doing that consistently, she would never treat me that way. <laughs> of course not, Steve. I wish I had mentioned, um, you know, that, yeah. uh, did you see the problem with this? <laughs> What about you, Foster? Have you been in that situation where you're just like, what? Yeah, I, yeah. as you were saying that, I just noticed that of how the people who I was in those relationships with always looked at me very intensely and very closely. Like they would mm-hmm. always like mention these things that I was doing and like these things that I wasn't aware of. And I was just like, oh my God, they're just like so focused on me. That's so nice to have like, <laughs> <laughs> Like someone want to know those kind of things about me. And then all of a sudden, I'm just like, wait a second, they're using all of that against me. It's like, that's why they're looking so intently at everything that I'm doing and everything that I'm saying and trying to assign what they think that I am to who I am. And they're trying to like put me into this box of their idea of like things that they've noticed about me. I'm just like, wait a second, whoa, like, and it, it tried to, it kind of makes you grapple with your own identity and sense of self. when someone is like looking at you and being like okay you are like this or you are doing this and it's just like wait a second like um like is this actually happening or (laughs) it makes you like almost like doubt like your own recollection of like what actually happened oh absolutely Absolutely. yeah you're gonna believe me or your lying eyes yeah (laughs) it's like my memory is already bad enough (laughs) right i know and then oh boy when they find out you have mental health struggles which if someone has a personality disorder, they have a mental health disorder also. So a mental illness is what it's classified as. So, but they were the first one to be like, yeah, you know, this is your issues with your mom and I'm sick and tired of you bringing that up with me, my innocent self. I'm a victim of your horrible behavior. And you're like, wait a minute, you just stole $20,000 from me. What, how is this my fault? (laughs) 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 And, and I have an STD, you know, whatever it is, you know, (laughs) Um, I had this woman that uh, boarded my horse for a very short period of time because I was like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. I call it someone, a checkbook and no sense person. Um, Did the same thing you were talking about, Frank, just treated everybody like garbage. And what was fascinating to me, I was paying her an inordinate amount of money to board my horse, but I was supposed to my horse was supposed to stay in a shack while hers were in this, you know, wonderful area. And, um, I was, she would, I would come on the property and she would tell me to answer her phone or order me to go pick up things at the store for her or whatever. And I, I thought it was weird and I didn't like it. And I was actively working to get my horse somewhere else, which thank God I did. But it was so funny because you remember Evelyn Ryan from our round table? Yes. Evelyn who is awesome, I was telling her what was going on and she goes, Kristen, wait a minute. She, Evelyn knows I would never ever get up on a stage somewhere and be like, I am the CEO of mental health news radio now. Like Mm -hmm. I just, you know, that's not me, right? I would do it as a joke. But Evelyn said, okay, excuse me, 
you're the CEO of an entire network and (laughs) answer her phone and it just put it into, you know, your girlfriends that like put it into, I'm like, oh, I said, but Mm -hmm. Evelyn, she would tell Michelle Obama to answer her phone. Like she doesn't care who it is, is how narcissistic she is. And she was like, but still, what are you not seeing here? Get away from this woman. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did. Barnacles grow slowly, you know, it's, <laughs> yes. it's attached and sucking the life out of you before you realize if you try to remove it, sharp edges. Yes. Yeah. Cut you. Those exits can be awful. I mean, this woman went out of her way to try to get my vet to hate me, to get this new woman where I have my horse to not to tell her I'm crazy, to keep me from producing a show in a building that's part of the place that we're in. I mean, she did all of these horrible things Mm. because I had the audacity to say no to her. And I thought, oh my God, because you feel attacked because you are being attacked. The thing is, they're not, even though it's personal to you because it's you that's being attacked, they attack everybody this way. This woman fired her builder. And he's one of the best, most well-known, most respected builders in the state. And now she's trashing him all over town. So I look at it like, okay, I'm in really great company. Hmm. You know, that's what they do. They can't have you. They want to kill you. (laughs) Yeah, I had a college agent, uh, actually, who was, um, I believe, a narcissist. Um, And when it came time to break up because they hadn't done any work and wanted the commission, uh, color me crazy for saying I'm not going to pay. Um, it came down to where I have this thing called legal shield, this little, um, yes. monthly thing. And then they'll send a free letter to anybody for you, you know? And so I, I didn't have any contact with this guy. I just said, like, call my attorney and, you know, had him cobble together a letter, told him the situation. So when the letter arrived in this guy's inbox and he opens it up and he calls and leave me, leaves me a message, you know, we're breaking up. And he goes, I can't believe you did that. Um, you owe us the money. And here's the deal. We were not going to demean you in the comedy community. <laughs> but now we are. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, go ahead and badmouth me. That's, that's you know, that's, that's because, you know, we all, I'm sure the three of us work very hard because your reputation yeah. is all you really have. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, yeah, go ahead and take your best shot at that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pick somebody, anybody who knows. Yeah. Who if but anybody yeah, said anything negative about you, the first thing I would think is, wow, what's wrong with them? That, <laughs> that's what we all work so very hard for is yeah. for that credibility that, wait a minute, hold on. Not Frank. Yeah. Well, we, we um, there's a condo we stayed in in Portland years ago as a, as comedians, my wife and I, cause, cause um, Foster, we traveled together. We, we were, we were really like the oh. junior work lever of comedy. And, awesome. and health freaks, because I've had heart issues and I, we all smoke or drink. We had, you know, anyway, um, we left the condo and then I got a note. I was not going to be booked back at the last laugh in Portland. So I called the lady who books it and I said, why not? She goes, because you and your wife trashed the condo <gasps> and smoked in there. And I said, wow. Christina, um, uh, do me a favor. <laughs> Just call a random comic, anybody. And and utter the and say, look, hey, listen, Frank and Wendy smoked in the condo and trashed the place, and just see what the reaction is. <laughs> no, yeah, but you know, I could not convince her that you know that uh, is you can't prove a negative. You can't prove we yeah. didn't do it. Right. Um, so it's yeah, it's that's yeah. Yeah, I, pe- yeah. People say you know people are idiots. Yeah, well, you know, there would be no comedy without idiots, so we <laughs> need them. <laughs> Right, Foster, you could use these. I mean, how would you feel if you, or have you ever done a comedy show of yours where you talk about being in this narcissistic relationship and you make it funny, but it's really not funny, but you're like, and then he did this. Um, yeah, I do. I have the, I had this one bit that I did a while ago um, because I ran into him on the street and then he came up to me and I had just seen him with this other chick around the corner but he didn't know that I noticed him there. And he ran up to me after he saw me and he was just like, ah, I miss you so much. I think about you every day. And then I was just like, while your dick's inside of another woman, <laughs> right. like that's just rude. <laughs> because uh, a herpet jack deserves all of your attention. 
Oh my Lord. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I, and I mean, the fact Just that it to, like, is spare some words for the sake of explicit. <laughs> right. Exactly. And thank God though, that you did that because everybody can relate. And, mm-hmm. and I say this, my listeners have heard this a million times and it, I'll just reiterate it. I went back over my old shows. Oh, my old shows on blog talk radio that didn't make it over to our new account with Spreaker um, because you can only stuff uh, three shows <laughs> and a, a thousand. So I'm going back and I'm deleting the ones that are already on Spreaker and I'm going to try to reload the old ones. And I think what's funny is I go back and I'm just searching through them and I'm looking at how many people downloaded shows it doesn't matter if it was a celebrity or, you know, whatever, really well-known person, hot news story, every show about this particular topic gets the most plays, the most interest, the most comments, everything. And all that that tells me, even if sometimes I'm sick of talking about it, but Mm -hmm. because I got to take my breaks from the subject too, but all that it tells me is what an epidemic we're in. Yeah. And it's really bad when it start when you start uh, exuding those characteristics, and you're just like, "Wait a second, what is happening to me? Am I becoming the narcissist in this?" And just like, when did this all happen? Because it's like I've had healthy relationships before. I I know that I've had them because they end in this way where it's just like I still feel like this person is so important and like valuable in my life, but never before have I just been like, "I wish I never met this person." you know? Yep. And, and amazingly how much you can hate other people that you've never met on behalf of this narcissist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have shed some haterade towards people that I don't even know, or I just Mm -hmm. met them because my ear is being filled with Yeah about them and then later boy have i done some apology lunches with people i am so sorry i treated you badly i own that nobody made me behave that way i can blame it on this person all day long but i showed up and behaved that way and i'm so so sorry and thank god everybody that i've um you know have done that with which hasn't been many but um they've all said it's okay we mm-hmm. once did that for that person too we knew what you were doing when you were doing it and we're so glad you're out of it now yeah you know it's it's they're like um spanish moss <laughs> in that you you know spanish moss has to grow on something like barnacles have to grow on something they <laughs> cannot survive yes in the wild uh, you know, on their own, they've got a, you know, it's, it's like some sort of science fiction body snatcher, you know, they've got to have a life force, you know, a, 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 you know, life support system for their, for their narcissism. Otherwise, I, you know, I'm surprised they, when they're alone, they just don't shrivel up like the wicked witch when the bucket of water gets thrown on. Or... <laughs> yeah. They don't exist without an audience. Hence why they end up getting into things like comedy and acting and all that stuff um yeah it's like that needless sense to be seen just for the sake of being seen it's like you're not actually putting out any value or anything you just you just need that attention you need to be noticed or else you feel like you don't exist well and that takes us back to social media and yeah, yeah you know, good segue yep and yeah, that was another sign he was like a clear like social media like really into like me i have to force myself to do social media but it's like all of those people that i know are on there constantly and they're posting constantly and it's just like they're looking at themselves constantly <laughs> i know people like that oh yeah yeah, I know. And I think about that too. I, I noticed that where I'll, I, I have all these great connections, just like all the three of us do in the work that we do. And so I will bring them to the table working with someone. And then I start to realize, oh, okay. And you, you can see how they, how that plays out on social media because I'll bring all my connections in. And then all of a sudden this person is bragging about how they have set up some important thing with all of these connections and there's no mention of me in there. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, and what, excuse, what? And the, the part of me that 
is managing my own narcissism goes, okay, well, you don't have to take credit for everything, Kristen. They mm -hmm. just forgot this one time. They're excited. It's okay. Mm -hmm. But the hundredth time that they're still taking your connections and not giving you any credit whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> come on, Kristen, does a tapeworm ever give any thought to its host? No. <laughs> My God, that needs to be a clip on social media. <laughs> so true. That yeah, really it's just true. when's the next meal? Come on, <laughs> send it down. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> so true. And sometimes you can when you're in this field, you can deal with someone who is struggling with um, the wrong medication. And so yep. they're in that, I hate everybody. Everybody's out to get me, 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 picking fights on social media. And it's, they're on the wrong medication. They're on the wrong mm -hmm. antidepressant and it's acting up and, you know, you love them and support them through it. Or they're someone who is an addict in recovery and their addiction is, which addiction is oh, totally narcissistic. That's the nature mm -hmm. of it. Um, and so they're, active in addiction and you love them through that and they get out of it. And that's not how they really behave anymore when they're yep. off a of substance. And then you have people know this is just how they behave all the time. It mm. really takes time to figure out what exactly it is that you're dealing with. And I think we all three give the benefit of the doubt. I've got a friend yeah. bipolar. He's had it for a yeah. decade since he was a uh, reared his ugly head in his early twenties. Uh, but he's a good person. I know inside there is the person that I became friends with. And so, and sometimes when he's in the storm, he says things to me that I wouldn't, I wouldn't take from my family. Right. Mm. Uh, but I just know it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's disease. It's, I can't, you know, it's like a sore throat. Can you hate him because his throat hurts? No, it's a, you know, it's just yeah. a symptom of the disease. So. Right. And those are choices that you make if you want to stick it out because they are people that, that do this and, uh, and they are used to having exits in their life when they go through a really manic stage of bipolar or, and they're not, or maybe they're not medicated properly. And they are definitely used to people being, feeling extremely hurt and never speaking to them again yeah. and properly medicated and not going through manic episode, they don't behave like that. And th those are some serious wounds. And then there are people that underneath all of that, this is who they are. Yes. <laughs> yeah. so. Was it my, my Angelou said that if someone shows you who they are, believe them. God, it's mm. so simple and yet yeah. it's freaking hard to follow that. <laughs> yeah, it is like, very hard to follow. Believes them. It's like, oh no, like there's, there's something more there. There's, you know, maybe I can change this person. Oh, the empath oh. nightmare, the empath oh code of codependency. I can change them. I can help heal them. <laughs> nope, not your job. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously we could do many more shows on this, but tell our listeners where they can, you can of course find anything out about Frank by going to the mentalhealthcomedian.com. But Foster, tell our listeners where they can find out more about you. Uh, yes, I have a website at uh, fostercomedy.com. Also, I post uh, my shows. There's also a Spark the Madness show that I have in New York, in Queens. And it's a free show. It's donation-based, and we help raise money to help people struggling with mental health issues. I give out uh, free HelloFresh boxes and free yoga classes. Yeah. Uh, it's a great fun time. We have a bunch of comedians. Um, and I post that on Instagram and that's foster comedy, like at foster comedy on Instagram as well. What's awesome. your Facebook foster? What's your Facebook? Uh, foster roads. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for first listening to Frank and I, uh, <laughs> and still wanting, still wanting to come back. <laughs> You're part of the family. I feel so bad that I didn't realize that it was like a phone call. I was just like, oh, this yeah. is just a webinar. <laughs> yeah. Nope. You did I the just right feel thing. so foolish. No, my gosh, please. We feel yeah. foolish. We're like, yeah, these, oh my God. These, these two are digging a grave for somebody, but I'm not sure who it is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I told Frank, thank God we're really nice people behind the scenes because yes. if we were jerks, she would have heard all kinds of horror. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, but anyway, well, thank you for coming on, both of you. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. 
I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight. Good boy. All right, that was awesome, y'all. Yeah, yeah it, was it was fun. So much fun.